Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Bridgeway Podcast. We are starting a new series on why go to all nations, and we're going to be looking at what, why, how do we share the good news with the people around us in our neighborhoods, at work, and um, especially um, why do we go? Why do we leave um, our, our our city, our state, our country, and go to other places around the world and share the gospel? We're going to hear stories. We're going to uh, kind of lay a theological foundation for this, um, and it's going to be a really good um, series, about five episodes long. Uh, and today we're starting with. Just just the, the, the simple question of why share the gospel. Um, it, it might sound like a dumb question, especially if you replace gospel with good news. Why share good news? It's like, you know what? We never have to ask that question, do we? Like, some good news happened. I got to share it. Oh, well, why would you do that? Like, it, it's not a question we normally ask, but um, I think uh, we think about sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as something different. We normally act differently when that is the good news we're talking about. So maybe it is a question we need to ask inside of our Christian walk. And uh, to help us through that today, we've got uh, lead pastor Sam Storms and our pastor of missions and evangelism Andy Edwards here with us to help us work through this. So welcome guys. We're excited to talk to you. Good to be here. Very good to be here. Awesome. Well, um, so first off, um, let, let's, I don't know, Sam, I always, every time we sit down, I always ask a question and then you take it five steps back and want to define terms. So I'm just going <laughs> to know that's about to happen and ask a question anyway. Well, that's a setup. <laughs> <laughs> and just say, uh, the question we want to ask is, is why is sharing the good news part of the Christian life? You know, we can't be monks that just go off and live in a monastery somewhere. We are supposed to interact with the world. We're part of God's plan of reconciliation to share the good news. Why is that part of the Christian life? Why isn't it just me and God hanging out? You know, it's all about devotion and piety. Why is this thing of sharing the good news part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Thoughts? Well, yeah, there are a lot of ways to respond to that. Um, and I'm sure we can get into this later, but one of them is just the simple matter of obedience. Mm. Um, the, the consistent exhortations that we have uh, and examples of sharing the gospel in the New Testament. It's just pervasive. Uh, but I think I think probably I'd want to approach it maybe, so since, since you said I'd back up a couple of steps, let me <laughs> back up a couple of steps and give um, two theological reasons. Okay. One is because the good news is the best news. Mm. Uh, what is it that's good about the news that we spread? Mm. And it is that there is forgiveness of sin and the promise and the assurance of eternal life in the presence of the most glorious being in the universe forever and ever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, be it's the best news that there is. That in itself um, ought to stir our hearts. Um, but then secondly, I think it has to do with the nature of God himself. Um, if you have been, I mean, think about I uh, <clears throat> think about the way C.S. Lewis would expressed it in his um, his uh, 
little essay in The Weight of Glory, is, yeah. or in, actually it's on the Reflections on the Psalms. Mm. And he says, what do you do when you have seen something uh, fascinating, or you have read a book that is captivating, or you've just had an experience that uh, thrills your soul? The instinctive human response is you look around for somebody you can tell about it. <laughs> right. It's like, it, it's, you know, you, you stand up at a, at a football game or a basketball game or something, and you've just witnessed an incredible athletic um, accomplishment. You go, wow, did you see that? Right. It's not just, hmm, I'm going to hold this in. <laughs> no, th- there's something in the human heart that wants to spread and incorporate others into the joy that you have just experienced. Yeah. In fact, your joy in what you've experienced is incomplete until it's expressed in praise and in, until you have uh, called others to share in it. Mm. So we start from the fact that by God's grace, we have been given God. We have been, we, we have been given the opportunity to see him, to behold him, to know him, to rest in him, to delight in all that he is for us in Jesus. And there is this, in fact, if you don't feel the impulse to make that known, and to share it with others, I don't know that you can ever really say that you have actually experienced God in the way that he wants to be experienced. Mm. It's just an instinctive human reaction to want to spread to others that which has brought the greatest imaginable joy yeah. and satisfaction to your own soul. I think about like uh, how what, what, what has happened with birth announcements in our age. Mm. You know, like uh, it's, it's, I never thought it was that big of a deal and until we got pregnant with Ezra and my wife was like, man, how are we going to tell people? And I was like, you just tell them, like, you know, like I, but it, it, it's become this thing, you know, birth announcements, gender reveals, and we've oh, got yeah. this good news. We're pregnant. We're having a girl, whatever it may be. And we want to tell people in the most extravagant way we possibly can. And we want, we want to shout it from the mountaintops and put it on our social media. We want everyone to know about it because it's good news. And right. we, it's just gotta be. And like, I remember before we told people that news that we were pregnant, like we were very happy, you know, super excited, but it was like, it wasn't fully expressed until everyone we ran into would look at us and be like, Oh, you guys are pregnant. It's so great. And like it expanded our joy and we were able to enjoy it in a different way. So I definitely, I think I can resonate with that. The joy is incomplete until it is expressed and until you have had the opportunity to invite others into the sharing that experience with you, it's just, there's just something that's, that's left a massive gap in your own soul doesn't mean that you haven't genuinely experienced the reality of, of who God is and what he's done for you, but it's God has wired us in such a way that we instinctively want others to enter into that with us. Mm-hmm. And again, all you got to do is you just look across the expanse of your experience in life, whether it's a newborn baby or an athletic accomplishment, or you just walked out of a movie that you are, are stunned by the plot, or you've just finished a novel that has just mesmerized you, and you have to call others right. into that experience. And I think that's very much the case when we consider what God has done for us in Jesus. I uh, know there are multiple other motivations for why we want to, and we can talk about them, why we would mm-hmm. want to share that. But it's because the good news that we have just received is the very best news. There's nothing better uh, in in all of the universe than the reality of being reconciled to God and enjoying him forever. And then that that instinctive response of, I want others to see and to know and to feel what I have 
by God's grace, uh, been called into. Yeah. Andy, what are you thinking as, as Sam's kind of unpacking all of this about why we must share the good news? Yeah, I, I just keep hearing the word overflow. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, how can we not tell of the greatest single hope in life and in death? Like, we're not even talking about the greatest single hope just in life. Right. And like, yeah, man, this is what, I mean, this is forever. Mm. And, you know, on Instagram, we go to a Bonnie Vare concert, man, I'm quick to post, like, <laughs> right. listen to this song as right. I'm, like, shaking the, the camera. And, but, like, what, the gospel changes us. And I think if we have experienced his grace, if, if the rescuer has rescued us, how do we not? Like, I don't know how to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's such an odd question that we ask because it's like it, it, something's off if we're not. Now, again, there's a, all sorts of reasons why we wouldn't on some level, whether it's fear or, and, and I know that's maybe not where we're going today. But for me, it's if the, the, the one true God, holy, loving, the most amazing God in the universe has changed us, it feels like overflow just says we have to do it. I, I think of Deuteronomy 6 too. The Shema, yeah. the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with your might. And then he says something, and this we can go into the command piece a little bit. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Then he tells you to do something with what's happening in your heart and, yep. and what he's done. And he says, you teach him diligently to your children. So that means they're always on your lips. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Okay, when I'm sitting down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That Mm -hmm. means everyone in my life, in my neighborhood, in my city that I'm interacting with should know something has changed my life. Something greater than me has come and worked in me. So Mm -hmm. it should just always be happening. And so when I read that, a guy from International Project in New York, Kevin King, says we have to start learning to turn the volume up on our life. Mm. Like turn the volume up and not like yell at people. (laughs) But like when you, the first time you meet someone, they should hear some sort of a spiritual conversation or something which, which some people call Shema statements, which are these like, they just point to God. As simple as, it, man, this weather today is beautiful. Hadn't God given us such an amazing right. day? So immediately in a, in a conversation, you have entered in someone outside of yourself into the conversation. And so people from the beginning know. Yeah. By so the way, is, the why. isn't it fascinating that we have to be commanded to share that? Yeah. That Does is, that not reflect upon the depravity <laughs> of the human heart? Yes. Nobody has to command me to want to tell you all about a great book I just read. Right. Nobody has to exhort me to uh, point your attention to that beautiful sunset. I mean, my wife and I are driving the car. The first thing is whoever sees it first, look at that. Can you believe the colors? Why in the world? And, and that's of lesser things by comparison. Why is it that the most glorious, most beautiful, most grandest, most precious thing in all the universe that has been given to us, and we have to be commanded to tell yeah. others about it, it's God saying, uh, you know, wake up, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> are, you know, are, are you not in? Con- are you not connecting with the reality of how selfish and how fearful mm. you are that I have to tell you to do this? That is just. I mean, that's going to launch us into a discussion of human depravity yeah. and fallenness and sin. We don't want to go there. Okay. But it just does. Because <laughs> I was about to ask a bunch of questions. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. But it does. It, yeah. it, it opens my eyes to, my goodness, what is the matter with my soul yeah. that I would have to be commanded to tell others about 
the most wonderful reality in all of life in the universe. That's right. just stunning to me. Yeah, that it's absolutely stunning, and I think it it makes me. It, I think it makes it okay for me to do a little heart work. Yeah, like I, I feel like sometimes I can feel overly, maybe overly guilty and hopeless when it comes to the state of my own heart with regards to the lost. Mm-hmm. That I'm like, I just don't have zeal for them like I should. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't have compassion for them as I should. I'm, I'm hopeless. And it's like, no, there's the, like, God knew I was hopeless. God knew my heart was hard. Mm-hmm. And so he commanded me to do that, which should be natural and which comes natural to me when I see a sunset or the thunder win a basketball game. But I think this gives me some permission to be like, hey, David, just before you go out, go down and like just do some heart work and like ask God to break your heart and yeah. to change you. Like I, I think that's helpful for me. Uh, just another quick kind of mundane example. I'm, Andy and I are big OU football fans. Mm-hmm. And Boomer. When, when you – Sooner. <laughs> when, you, when we're standing there and we see an incredible play or a touchdown – you look around. What is the very first thing that people do? They turn around and they high five. High five yeah. They're looking for some and total strangers. You're high fiving with them, right? In something so ultimately trivial, yes. As a as a foot uh, as a touchdown in a football game, um, and there there has to be some sort of high five looking for somebody to celebrate with when you reflect upon the reality of the good news of the gospel, mm-hmm. and yet we don't. Mm. That's just. Remarkable. Yeah, it really is. And I think it should I think I think what maybe instead of beating ourselves up, maybe what we should do is see the propensity we have to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Like the room that we do have to become more exuberant about the gospel. Like it's like, man, look, you have the capacity within you to cheer and shout and turn up the volume on your faith in your life. Yeah. Like you have that in you. You've been to a game, you've had good news, you know what it's like. Um, you have that innate within you, um, and like now it's time to unlock it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't. So I think two thoughts. Like one is we go back to the gospel. Like what God? I'm not. I don't have compassion for the unbeliever, or I don't have compassion for people around me. Would you increase it? I think He answers that. Mm-hmm. Says yes, I will increase it. So we go into intimacy with Jesus. But then I think sometimes we leave it there. And we don't realize that mission and celebrating God is done in community. Yeah. So when we go share the gospel with people, we do it by ourselves, yes, we can. But man, when we're doing it in community, we have the person sitting next to us. And when we, if, if you and me get to go out and share the gospel with someone, whatever their response, there is this high five moment of, we told the gospel right. to someone, yep. and we. But if if you don't have the person that you can high five with, sometimes it is just becomes this etern- internal like struggle instead of let's do this together. Mm. And it, it, we we talk about it so much, but the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in community, in yep, community, right. in community from eternity past, and then we don't live our lives in community with people to where when we're sharing the gospel and and how do people know about this awesome God? how we love each other in mm, community. Yeah. That's like the answer. Right. People look at how we love each other and they're like, that's what I, you, so, okay. And then it, what does it do? It points to yeah. the greatness and goodness of God. And I just think like another reason why, or another, another thing for us to think about when we're talking about unlocking this, this propensity we have to rejoice out loud with others and overflow with the good news is I think a lot of us, we compare being at a football game you know, or, or, or whatever. And it's like a lot of us maybe read the score 
on ESPN at the bottom. And when you do that, you don't jump out of your seat and your couch and start high-fiving your wife. You know, you're like, oh, good, we won. You know, but when you're at the game, everything's different. And so I think for a lot of us, we are watching the the gospel score roll across the bottom of our screens, but we're not in the stadium. Yeah. And like we like we need to, it's intimacy, it's proximity. We need to be in the arena with God. We need to be in intimacy with God. And when we do, everything gets turned up. Like you know, it's like it's the difference between like your 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 second cousin twice removed announces a pregnancy and your wife announces a pregnancy. It's completely different because you're in the <laughs> right. game. It's proximity, <laughs> it's intimacy. And so the solution to how do we have more overflow of the gospel in our lives is put more of the gospel in your life. Yeah. You know, we just need more intimacy with Jesus. So I love that. Um, one question I want to move to is um, why is it that people speaking words <laughs> about a historical event that took place are the means by which God has chosen to reconcile people to himself. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I, my immediate response to that is, is a couple of things. First of all, I think whatever God does, he does because it maximizes his glory. Yeah. So evidently there is greater glory and honor that God uh, receives uh, when he utilizes broken, fallen, weak people like us, than if he were to simply write it in the clouds above. You know, God, th- there is no reason why God couldn't simply orchestrate the clouds, and um, you know, John three sixteen is suddenly spread across the sky, <laughs> or God could speak audibly to every single human being on the face of the earth. He could do it that way. But apparently, in his infinite, immeasurable wisdom, he said, you know. I'm actually going to receive greater glory and honor when I make use of the instrumentality of human voice, human weakness, um, giving uh, expression to the things that I have done for them in Jesus. So the, the text, when I, when I thought about that question, the text that immediately came to mind was 2 Corinthians 4, 7. In the first six verses of chapter 4, Paul talks about um, proclaiming Christ as Lord and he, how he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then you want to say, all right, God, just do it. I mean, just come on, just <laughs> right. say it, speak it. You know, d- don't involve us in the process. And the very next verse, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay, which is a reference to us, mm-hmm to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Wow. So evidently, and, and by the way, this runs counterintuitive. Mm. See, to me, I want to say, no, Lord, if you were just to kind of intuitively or audibly speak into the heart of every person without the, a human preacher, teacher, uh, a friend sharing the good news in the backyard over a barbecue or whatever else— if you were just to do that, wouldn't that show your power more right. than when you use us? And God says, no, <laughs> sorry, but yeah. you, you're thinking yeah. incorrectly there. Um, I want to utilize jars of clay, broken vessels, weak people as the instrumentality through which I spread this good news throughout the earth. And just trust me, if you don't understand it, you don't have to just trust me. The power will be more readily seen to be mine from me when it operates through you than if I just simply did it immediately and directly without any secondary causes. And again, I, I scratch my head to that. Yeah. And I say, mm. I don't, I, got, I hate, reverently, Lord, I'm, 
I beg to differ. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and God says, well, guess what? You're wrong. I'm right. I said, okay, I, I bow the knee. But mm. that, I, yeah, I think, man, that, that's where I was kind of similarly headed in my brain. Like, what, who better to tell about the great rescuer than those who have actually been rescued? Because mm-hmm. I tried to start comparing us to the angels and be like, okay, well, the angels could have just come and shared the gospel with everyone, right? Right, like uh, who was it that I, the rich man and the rich man and Lazarus story? Yeah. Didn't he yes. ask for that? Yeah. Yes, and and the problem is the angel didn't actually experience <laughs> rescued. Yeah. the broken like the, this this moment of like I am utterly helpless, mm. I am dead, and I have been brought back to life. So what do I want to do? I want to go tell everyone about the one who brought me back to life. The angel gets to worship, and they get to worship who God is, but mm-hmm. they don't ever get to experience being far from him. And so to me, it was like, that's it. When I think about the angels and the shepherds in Luke 2, and they're telling you, go look at Jesus. Well, for the brokenness of man to look into the face of God and Jesus, like, what does that do to you? Like, Mm. it's this, it is this kind of shit. It's different. Um, Mm. But I, I just went straight to the angels and was like, we have this ability now to be able to share about the one who rescued us. And they can't. Yeah, and think about it's not just sharing the gospel. Uh, it's it's virtually everything we do. Uh, you know, I, you, you think Ephesians one eleven, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. But how does He do it? How does He want to secure the fulfillment of His will? Uh, he says, "You pray for the sick. Mm-hmm. You come and ask me to heal them. Uh, you come to the throne of grace and seek mercy and grace to help in time of need." Um, there's there's this dynamic of God employing the weak and sometimes fitful efforts of broken, fallen people that serves to magnify him um, more than if somehow he just, like you said, employed the the holy angels Mm -hmm. to accomplish this or did it. Now, again, this isn't to say that God doesn't do some things directly and immediately without the employment of secondary causes. Of course he does. Um, But this one just came to mind. Luke chapter 1. So here is the, the, the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, coming into this world, and get, he sends Gabriel to Mary mm-hmm. and says, guess what? You've been chosen. You're highly favored because the Holy Spirit is going to do a miracle in your womb, and you're going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah. And um, Mary's response is, be it done unto me according to your will. Think about how the submission of her will to this incredible event that God could have accomplished in any number of other ways. Right. But because this this young vir- teenage virgin in Israel back in the first century um, submitted herself and said, yeah, I'm willing to be the instrument through which you want to accomplish this incredible miracle. And we read that and we say, God, you're incredible. The fact that that the second person of the Godhead, who is infinite, omnipresent, and all-powerful, is going to become an embryo in a virgin's womb, and in a sense, because she submitted herself to be used in that way, is just remarkable. Mm. And we could apply that across every other, everything else. We, we, we could Everything that we do, every commandment in Scripture, and we say, God, why, why use us? We're a bunch of screwballs. Right. I mean, we goof it up. We don't do it well. And God says, yeah, but guess what? When you recognize you don't do it well and you come to me and ask for forgiveness and for help in doing it better, guess who gets the praise? I do. 
I do. Yeah, it's right. the giver that gets the praise, not not those who get. It's the giver. And so I think that's why God constantly wants us to come to him, to ask for the strength, to ask to overcome our own hesitation, our own fear of man. And in that, God is more greatly glorified. I think it's in, insanely powerful. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever thought of it that, that way. Um, one question I have left about this overarching question of why use people speaking words, proclaiming a historical event to be the means by which God reconciles people to himself is why words, why news? Like why, why is it that we carry a story with us? Um, and that's what God uses to change people's hearts. And like, it's just a, well, you do realize that there are a whole lot of people today who are saying we shouldn't. Mm. I mean, the, you know, the, we've talked about this before on this podcast, that our society now, and even churches, are being driven by um, the kind of the digital revolution, and everything has to be sight and sound, images, pictures, dramas, and the idea of the human voice articulating the words that are recorded for us in Scripture is falling out of fashion. Mm. That's why there's so little expositional preaching. Right. Uh, because they say, hey, let me show you a movie clip. That'll that'll do it a lot better. Now, again, I'm not against movie clips. I've right. used a few, what, once well, every five years. I, I remember I one. one. Yeah. I remember oh, one. Okay. From maybe, Blood Diamond. Yeah, That's the only maybe, one I remember. <laughs> maybe a couple here and there. But um, unfortunately, we have lost the centrality of the word. Um I mean, but think, think I'm just come, thinking of this uh, text, and I think it's in, uh, it's in John 15 and again in John 17, where Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy might be complete. So God is ordained through the articulation in human speech to communicate the truth of who he is and what the gospel is about. And he's wired the human soul, the human mind in such a way that that is the most effective way by which we process this truth. Now, again, are there other supportive means, whether in film or drama or whatever else, that that adds life to it and helps drive it home with even greater force? Yes. I mean, David, you do spoken word. Right. Why? Why don't you? Why don't you just do mime? Right. <laughs> Because of the power of the word. Yeah, David yeah. Bowden, you know, mime artist for Jesus. <laughs> now that would probably be pretty effective. Sure. But it's not nearly as powerful as when you utter those right. words. Uh, so, yeah, that's it, just that's just the way God's ordained it. Could it also be that that's, I mean, that's Genesis? Yes, absolutely. Like, and God said. Yes. There's there's something. He, from the beginning, yeah. he, he's a story-telling, yep. word-speaking God. Mm-hmm. So he just says, okay, this is how I'm going to accomplish this greater good for this world, how I'm going to reconcile it to myself is through words. Yeah. And, and words words have a unique... Words are a unique character almost in the Bible from the word of God speaking all things to existence, the confusion of language and the separation of all nations, the communication of promises, the giving of the law, the revelatory nature of the prophets, you know, and then the word becoming flesh, and then Jesus speaking to all creation, behold, I make all things new, a sword coming out of his mouth. I mean, like there's, there's like the character of words... It, it, it like exists throughout all scripture, so it does. It does make sense. There's something uh, ontological about words in our in our universe, like that. It almost makes up the biology of it. So, and, and again, yeah. I don't want anybody to leave this conversation and think we're saying that that there's not great life changing power in image and visual Absolutely encounters. Yep. Uh, there, are, there there certainly is, 
But for those things to really take root in the human heart, somebody's got to tell me what that means. Right. They've got to interpret or explain the story. Um, I, if I see a clip in a film, I'm listening to the dialogue of the actors. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's a silent film, I don't respond as immediately to that. I need to see you know a, a, a subheading down there at the bottom of the screen. Right. Tell me what are they communicating. So. Image, visual experiences are absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. Life would be dull without them. Right. But somebody somewhere has to provide me with an interpretation of the meaning of what I'm seeing yes. for that to really take hold. And I mm-hmm. think that's why when we read, we, we have stories in the Bible, but we tell the story. Uh-huh. We portray the story. Uh, we, we give substance to its significance by articulating in words what is actually happening and how it affects us. Yeah, and I think there's even the same can be said about words themselves. I'm, I mean, I'm reminded of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts where he's reading the words of Scripture in Isaiah. And Philip comes up and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And it's like we it's not only words, but it's words about Jesus. And like he comes and shows him that this man that he's reading about in Isaiah is the historical man, Jesus, who is the anointed one of God, who fulfills what he's reading. And so they're not just words. These aren't just conversations that we have. These aren't just stories we tell. Um, I think words have power um, insofar as they point to the historical um, actions that occurred in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think the reason why we tell stories and use words to spread the news of what God has done is because God has done things inside of space and time that need to be communicated. There's historical realities that must... And again, I just want to emphasize, um, God loves to use tangible um, sounds, sights, instrumentalities to accomplish his purpose. I, mm-hmm. You all know, because I've many times said when we celebrate the Lord's table at Bridgeway, why did Jesus in the upper room, why, why didn't he simply say, hey, folks, when you get together, remember me, think about me. <laughs> right, yep. What did he do? He said, yeah. I want you to do that, but here's something that's going to help you. I'm going to give you tangible, physical elements that is going to be used to, to stir up your thoughts. Uh, he didn't have to do that. But I think he knows that we're, we're we tend to forget, and that, that when I take that bread, I drink of the cup. It is a very physical reminder that drives home in a more powerful way. The words, "This is my body. This right. is my blood." So, God loves to make use of instrumentalities, primarily human beings, in order to communicate His truth. Yeah, and I think Andy touched on that earlier when we talked about um, going on mission in community, where it's like, how will people know? the gospel. It's like by our love one for another. And so it's like, if I'm treating everyone around me like crap, <laughs> and then I tell you the great news of the gospel, it's not going to ring as true to you at all. But you know, if in word and in deed, I'm bringing you the gospel, it's going to hold true. There's an aesthetic, uh, there's a, an aesthetic ring of truth to the words that I'm speaking because of the image of my life that you've seen played out before you as well. Let me just add one other thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Why does God use us and why does he use our words? And I think he does it because he loves us and he wants us to experience the joy of watching new life mm. come about in the response of somebody whose heart has been opened by the Spirit of God. That's cool. There is yeah. a, God says, yes, this most honors and glorifies me. It shows that the power is of me. But guess what? Hmm. There is an unimaginable joy that you get to experience 
in being used by my spirit to make these truths known and to see new life come forth. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I mean, I love that. And even just going back to the Sooner football analogy, that there's times when uh, growing up and whatever, when they would run out the, run, run out of the tunnel, they're going to show a video before the game up on the big screen and they run out the tunnel. And I, I physically get emotional. <laughs> right. And I'm like, what is this? This is like, a, it's a bunch of guys running out of tunnel to play a game. <laughs> Uh, but then I start thinking through like, okay, well, something's happening there. And it's something that has from being a kid and being with my dad or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then I think about when you do lead, you, you've presented the gospel to somebody and you see them move from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. And it doesn't even compare then to even that weird, dumb little emotional thing that happened at the football game. You're like, I mean, I think God does love us so much that he's like, do you... Like, do you see what's happening in front of you? You're not causing it. You, I mean, you've proclaimed the gospel like I've asked you to, but I'm, we're, I am, you're seeing like new life, new rebirth. You're seeing someone reborn mm. in front of your eyes. Yeah. And there's nothing that, there's really nothing that compare. And then yeah. I go like, why don't I share it more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lord, Well, help. speaking of that, like what we've talked, we talked about the overflow, um, being one, we we talked a little bit about obedience. Then we talked about overflow being one of the motivations um, for speaking the gospel to those around us. Are there any? Uh, and then you said there's a there's a bunch of others that we could talk about. What are some of those other motivations? The things that should motivate us to go and share the gospel with people, um, other than just being overflowed with the joy that we have ha- having experienced the gospel. And well, because God commanded it, we definitely should. Are there other, other motivations that sh- should be in our minds and in our hearts? I, I don't know if this is different, but I, I mean, I, anytime I'm talking about why, why people are going to the nations or, or why we actually share with our neighbor, it, it's this simple phrase of Jesus is worthy of more worship. Like, and we've used it from like Oklahoma city He's worthy of more worshipers in Oklahoma City, but he's worth more than Oklahoma City. Okay, right. what about the, con- the United States? Oh yeah, but he's worth more. Well, what about Afri- more? Yeah. It's just he is so worthy. And so the motivation is this worthiness of Jesus. And you want to see not only just the personal experience of seeing someone come into the kingdom, but you want to see nations. And then I start projecting to Revelation. I start projecting to our future and thinking about brothers and sisters together worshiping the one true God. Mm-hmm. So I think a future motivation is this is the other piece. Outside we want to live in the present, but we have to live at this oh, future yeah. hope. And and so I'm motivated by who will be standing around. And I don't even know if I'm gonna look to the left and to the right <laughs> on some level because right. I will be so mesmerized <clears throat> yeah. by his goodness and glory. But I do think we will look to the left and right and be amazed at what he's done. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a motivation for me. That's great. Yeah, they're, I mean, I think probably our listeners right now are screaming, why don't you guys mention Romans 10? Right, yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably been on the tip of all of our tongues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe unless unless they've heard of him? And how will they hear unless somebody preaches? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God has orchestrated the means by which he wants people to come into the kingdom and he's not going to do it apart from the proclamation of this truth. And there's, you know, there's another passage that uh, this would open up a whole new discussion. Um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Yeah. So 
Now, people, somebody might say, man, you just ruined this whole podcast for uh, me. You were talking about joy and peace and overflow and glory, and, and now you said we're supposed to do it because we're afraid. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Not that we are afraid in a punitive way of incurring the, the wrath of God, but Paul in the immediately preceding verse talks about the fact that we are all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Right. And we're going to be given account for our lives. We're going to be rewarded for the things that we have done. Uh, we're also going to suffer loss of reward for the things we fail to do. And then Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. I got, I'll be honest with you. I don't have any doubt whatsoever about my salvation. Mm-hmm. I don't question for a, a moment that any of my sin is going to come back on my head and exclude me from the kingdom of God. But I still fear him. Mm-hmm. I, I tremble. I am in awe that the God of this universe who called it into existence out of nothing and who has redeemed my soul through the blood of Christ has actually said, Sam, take this truth to others. And if that doesn't cause you to tremble, plus um, there is a sense in which, and I don't know if this is in Paul's mind, I fear for the lives of others who hear that good news and reject it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to press in. I, I, I want to say, do you realize... Your eternity is, is in the balance right now. Um, this may be the, the, the first and only time you ever hear the gospel before you drop dead of a heart attack or die in a car wreck. Right. And there is a sense of trembling, of, of overwhelming awe and reverence that grips the human heart that ought to impel us outwardly um, to, to share this good news with everybody. Yeah, and I think for me growing up, that was the only motivation I was given was snatching people from the fires of hell. Like that was that was my motivation. Like that's what I was always taught was people are going people are dying right now not knowing Jesus. Right now, right now, right now. So go, go, urgency, go. And like I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that being a motivation, but we've just now finally got to it and we've talked for 37 minutes about why preach the gospel. And so um I I just feel like a lot of evangelism and talks about sharing the gospel centers around this idea of like winning souls and saving people from a fate apart from God and all that's fine and good. Um, is there a better way to think about evangelism than saving souls or like, is that, is that what we're about? Like what what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, when, when you're talking about the, just even this, the motivation of hell, you know, I know, I know cross conference and others, they have their little tag of like, time is short. Hell is real. Yeah. Right. I I mean, that is yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we've done though, is we've taken hell and we've taken the responsibility of salvation and we've put it on ourselves. Yeah. So we've turned it of like, you go get someone out of hell. Mm. Like, actually I can't do that. Right. (laughs) But I I know from uh, in teenage years and some college years of, of like, that was how I felt. Like I have oh, to go yeah. because if I don't go, they're going to hell, not even realizing that I'm not the one that can save them. Yeah. Now I want to go and proclaim it because God has called us to, and because it's beautiful to proclaim the gospel. But I think hell is used as a bad motivation, but it should be used as a good, healthy motivation on the side of, okay, yes, this is the reality, but don't take the responsibility of salvation and put it on your own shoulders. And I think that's what the majority of evangelicals do when they go share the gospel. It's like, this is up to me where right. this person is yeah, eternally yeah. lost. I don't know that, um, that we are in danger, much danger anyway, <laughs> of, um, 
being wrongly motivated by the reality of eternal condemnation. Mm. Um, I think if anything, there's probably been a pendulum swing and we don't think about it much at all. Sure. Yep. Um, and, you know, I just think of uh, Paul in Romans 9 when he said, I could wish myself accursed and separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. And, and that's spoken out of love. That's like, why share the gospel? Because we love other human beings. <laughs> right. And we want them to experience the greatest thing that there is available in this universe, not just now, but forever. And that's intimacy with God and the beholding of his beauty as revealed in Christ. Um, and yet, think about Paul's language. I could wish myself accursed, separated from Christ. Paul knows the reality that if you don't come to faith in Christ, you are accursed mm. and eternally separated from him. And that is a hugely motivating factor in his ministry, as well as all these other things that we have mentioned. So I don't want to lose sight of that uh, because eternity is hanging in the balance. Yeah. Um, and so can some people browbeat the, uh, the lost and harangue and in a legalistic, uh, overbearing way, um, um, throw this in people's faces in such a way that it really turns them away from the gospel? Sure. We've yeah. all seen it. But let's not lose sight of the underlying reality here. Uh, yes, there is a hell and people are going there. Right. And yeah. there's no other way they can be reconciled to God unless someone tells them yeah. about the great rescuer. Yeah. Like there is no, there's no option. There, so yeah. we are then. We are the option. Let's flip it. <laughs> right. Now we are responsible on <laughs> some level to get the gospel to as many people as we can yeah. because how are they to hear without someone right. preaching? I think it's good. Um, so we've, we've been asking the question, why share the gospel? Uh, we talked about God commands it. He's, he's made us sharing words, the means by which he will reconcile the world to himself using jars of clay. Why does he do that? Because for some reason in his, uh, his wisdom, it gives him the most glory. Um, we've, and then we've talked about, um, yeah, the fact is there are people going to hell and to be separated from God forever. And that should make us tremble and fear and send us out radically zealous to give people the only way out, which is in Jesus. And so we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, I think we've answered the question adequately, at least in some sense. Uh, there's a billion more things we could unpack and talk about, but hopefully this has been a good start for people. Um, and uh, I know it's been helpful for me. So um, we're going to continue talking about why share the gospel, why go to all nations, um, the rest of the this series. Uh, we've got about four more episodes coming uh, around this topic. So we hope you'll, you'll join us through the rest of that. Uh, but until then, we thank you for listening. Thank you, Sam and Andy, for being with us. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.